see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Just recently, there was a study done of a pool of water along the Roman road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. The name of the place is in Elhania. And uh, they have found that there's a pool of water fed by a spring, which would have been right along the road where the eunuch would have been baptized. You know, as you and I study the book of Acts, we realize that this is a great book because it shows the power of the gospel in the lives of real people, people like you and I, people who are of just the ordinary, everyday life and When Paul wrote the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. That means that the gospel has power in the lives of a man who was a treasurer, who was from Ethiopia, and it has power in the life of those of us who are here this morning. Everyone has their own background. Those of us who are here today come from various backgrounds. Some of us may have grown up in the south. Others may have grown up in the north. Those of us who are here, some of you have grown up on farms. Others have grown up in the city. Of us here, some of you have had very difficult times in your life, while others have faced a relatively easy life. There are some of you who have experienced all sorts of difficulties in your life. We all have our own background, and we will see that in the life of the unit today. But see, everyone starts somewhere. If you want to become a child of God, it may be that you have been reared in a home where the Bible has been read and studied, and and you've heard it. Or you may have been reared in a home where you rarely heard God's word and you're not even familiar with those great stories that are in the Bible. But everyone has to start somewhere. But you and I will see a pattern of salvation revealed in the book of Acts. In fact, you can make a chart if you want to of all the conversions that are listed in the book of Acts and you can see some parallels of each one of them, the things that these people did in order to become a child of God. Paul would put it like this to the Romans, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form, literally that pattern of doctrine to which you were delivered. You and I can learn and discern from Scripture a pattern of salvation. But this morning we're going to focus on the last half of Acts chapter 8, the conversion of the eunuch. And we want to look at three things that are a part of this study. We want to look first of all at his situation. What brought the eunuch to Jerusalem? What was it that the eunuch learned? What did he understand? And then we want to talk about his searching and sensibility. He's a good man. He wants to know how to please God. And then finally, he was saved. And how did that happen? Let's begin with looking at verses 26 and 27. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. 
saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now Luke begins by describing the location. If you'll remember, Philip has just come from Samaria. He has just been involved in a great conversion which involved many people hearing, believing, and being baptized. Including among that number was Simon the sorcerer. But now he has come back toward Jerusalem and he's been given instructions to go to a particular location. It's a road that's going south. Obviously, since Gaza's that direction, you're going to go south. But he also is going to go down because as you go on that road from Jerusalem down to the way of the sea, then you're going to descend about 2,500 feet in elevation. He's going to go on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, and that's the direction of the Via Maris, or the way of the sea. The best way that I can describe this so you and I can appreciate it is Via Maris, the way of the sea, and the King's Highway were both major roads, much like our interstate. It's the one where people will go to get on that specific road. And so in order to make his journey, he is going to go this direction, and that's going to be his direction to return. Luke tells us this is desert. Don't think of it in terms of you know, the sand dunes where there's nothing growing, but think in terms of an area that's uninhabited. People don't live here. It's, it's a sparsely populated area. And this is the route that the eunuch would have taken on his way home. He is going to leave from Jerusalem where he's been to worship. He's going to follow this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then when he gets to Gaza, he's going to get on the king's highway. That's going to lead him all the way through Egypt into his area of Ethiopia. We learn that he's a man from Ethiopia. And if you're looking on a map today, that's and even in biblical times... That's going south of Egypt. It's a trip of 800 miles. Just to be conservative and travel the maximum each day, it's going to take him about two months to make this journey. 60 days. He evidently is very interested or he would not have made such a long journey. Luke also tells us he's a eunuch. And in the Bible, a eunuch was a man who had been emasculated or castrated to serve in royalty. For instance, Jeremiah chapter 38 and verse 7 says, Now Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house. You see, those men who served in the king's house would often be emasculated so they wouldn't be a temptation for the king's harem. You go to Daniel chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and to them the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael Meshach, 
and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies or the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see, Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all made eunuchs to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court. When you come to the New Testament and Jesus is talking about marriage and then divorce and then remarriage and the disciples were concerned of how difficult that was, Jesus used eunuchs as an example and he says, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. But then he says, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. You see, what a eunuch was, was a man who was treated in such a way that he would be put into the king's service. But something else you learn here is that he is an Ethiopian. That means he's a dark-skinned man. In fact, the term used is for burnt-faced people. And it's describing a man whose skin would be discernible. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three: Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also who are accustomed to do evil do good. So it's, it's a part of a person's nature to have this skin. I can't change the color of my skin, nor can others theirs. But Luke also tells us he's a treasurer. That means he's a man of trust and responsibility. And Luke also says he's a man of great authority. If he had control of and authority over all of the treasury of the queen, he was a man of considerable responsibility. And according to this, he served under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace is not a personal name, but is a dynasty name like that of the Pharaohs or the Caesars, uh, a name that described the rulers in this area of Ethiopia. And Luke tells us he is returning from worship at Jerusalem. He's gone up to the temple, but let me tell you something about going to the temple. Because he's a eunuch, he can't go in and he can't worship. He's gone to Jerusalem because he's a believer in God, but he can't go in, he can't worship. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to look and focus on this man and his sensible searching. Let's look at verses 28 through 31 together. And returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, Luke's emphasis here is on his search for truth. This man's reading, he, he wants to know, he wants to understand. 
And if a person does want to know and does want to understand, he will read. That's true in any area of life. For instance, let's say you buy a new television and you want to know how that remote works. You know what you have to do? You have to go read the manual. You have to read and understand. If you want to know what God's Word means, you know what you have to do? You have to read it. In John 7 and verse 17, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether I speak from God or whether I speak of my own authority. Jesus said, you want to do what God says to do? You can find out. Acts 17, verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. The kind of people who look and are interested in finding out. I can't tell you how many people I've met in life who said, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm searching, I want to find it, I've been reading To what part of Scripture should I go to listen and to learn? Well, let's observe he's reading Isaiah. He doesn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They've not been written yet. He doesn't have the book of Acts, obviously, because it's being recorded about him, nor the books of the rest of the New Testament. He only has the Old Testament to which he can refer, and he's reading from Isaiah. The fact that he's reading tells us he's an educated man. He has the ability to read and to write. But notice the question that Philip asked. Do you understand what you are reading? I'd like to ask you the same question. If you pick up the book of Isaiah and you start reading through the book of Isaiah, someone could look at you and say, do you understand what you're reading? And there's times and there's opportunities. Many of us would say, well, yes, I I know what he's talking about. There may be some portions of the book of Isaiah that we say, I don't know if I understand that well or not. Let's look now at verses 32 through 35. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now he was studying from the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 and 8. You see we're fortunate today that there have been a division placed in our scriptures to tell us which is the first chapter, the second chapter. Verses which tell us sentences that relate to it and So you and I can go to the exact location. And there we read the Hebrew translation into English. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led 
like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Now, why would this section of Isaiah be of interest to the eunuch? You know, if you're just saying, well, was he just somehow reading through this section and just happened to find something that interested him? But I'd suggest to you there's much more to it than that. I believe it was the providence of God that the eunuch was reading this and was at the place where he was. It was at the direction of the Holy Spirit through an angel that he learned that he was supposed to go to this man. But I want you to observe the fact that everybody who is going to be drawn to God has to learn. It's not as if you and I can just somehow magically know it. Listen to John 6 verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Jesus said, that's what's written in the prophets. Where that is written is the very next chapter from where the eunuch is studying. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Oh, you want to know how to enjoy peace with God and peace with one another? You've got to listen to God's word and be taught by God. You know how you and I are taught by God? It's when we take his word and we read it, we study it, and we learn it. But I suggest to you there's another part of this section that's really, really valuable. And maybe perhaps it's worth the time of your writing in the margin of your Bible, Isaiah 56 Verses 1 through 8. Because as I read through this, then I begin to appreciate why this section of Scripture is so valuable to this man. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. And the Son of Man who lays hold on it, who keeps him from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Now listen carefully. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here am I, a dry tree. Here is a man who is both a foreigner and a eunuch. And this portion of scripture says to the foreigner, don't say I'm a man who is is out here who's been utterly separated from the Lord. The eunuch shouldn't say I'm just a dry tree, I have no value. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and chooses what pleases me, And holds fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a better name better than that of sons and daughters. 
I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one of them keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even to them I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord who gathers the outcast of Israel says, yet I will gather to him. You see what he's trying to do? He is trying to get us to see just like he was trying to get the unit to see God has a name, God has a people, and God is going to accept these people. Here I am, I'm a foreigner, I'm a eunuch, and I'm reading from this section. He is searching in a sensible way. But now let's take verses 35 through verse 39. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip so away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I want you to observe... He began at this scripture and preached Jesus to him. That's the same thing that he did when he was in Samaria. He preached Christ to them. He preached things concerning the kingdom of God. Oh, it's such an important thing to realize that it does not matter if you are in Jerusalem, you're in Samaria, on a little road going from Jerusalem to Gaza or in McMinnville, Tennessee. It's still the same message that you preach for someone to become a Christian. Now, I think it's important. He preached Christ to him beginning that scripture. Somewhere in the lesson, he must have heard the teaching about baptism. Because he said, see, here is water. Was it at that place where I showed you the photo in the beginning? Possibly. Fits. It's on that road. But the truth is, what's important, he learned he needed to be baptized. And I'll tell you, if baptism was simply sprinkling some water on him or pouring a little water over his head, I'm sure the eunuch had water with him. But there's water here sufficient to be immersed. He taught him the same thing the Lord had taught the apostles to teach. Do you remember Mark 16, verse 16, giving the Great Commission? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but he who does not believe will be condemned. Or Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Yes, that's what the Lord taught. Or you can go to the book of Acts itself. I'm not going to go to all of them, just two verses. Acts 2.38 Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 22 And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And so he asked the question, what hinders me from being baptized? He knows what he's supposed to do now. He knows there's water. He knows he has an obligation to be baptized. But is there something that precedes baptism that is absolutely essential? Something you can't uh, you know, skip over? Something you must do? Well, faith is necessary to being baptized. Do you remember what he told him? If you believe with all your heart, you may. What if I don't believe? No need to be baptized. You know, a lot of people want to quibble with Mark 16, verse 16. Why doesn't he say, he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned? Because if you don't believe, there's no need to even worry about baptism. Faith is a necessary prerequisite. The confession is also involved because it's acknowledging Christ. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10 verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's when you say with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You acknowledge Him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What is that good confession? That you believe that he's the Son of God. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father in heaven. So you say, I've got to believe, I've got to confess. You see, sensible people are able to take the word of God and make application to their lives. Here's a man who after hearing the message says, I know I've got to do something. I've got to be baptized. The end result of a sensible man was obedience that resulted in his being saved. Do you know what you can do this morning? You can do exactly the same thing the eunuch did. You can say, I want to be baptized. Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You can express that good confession, repenting of your sins, and when you are baptized, you will be saved 
just as he was. And don't miss the fact that the text said he went on his way rejoicing. I've got to think, here's this man who is at the beginning a little bit confused. He's definitely concerned. But now, after having heard the truth, having been guided to the truth, is a man ready to do what the Bible says, what God's Word instructs. And just like Acts 16, verse 34, now when he brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Here's a man who becomes a Christian, and he's joyful. The eunuch pursued truth, and he found it. He was looking for it, and he found it. And we can follow the same pattern of faith, repentance, confession, and baptism resulting in salvation. And there is value in just one soul. You know, I'm often amazed as I read and study the Bible that yes, there were mass conversions. Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 souls were added to them. But many of the conversions recorded in the book of Acts relates to one person and their soul. And this morning, I want you to think, are you a person who needs to obey the gospel? Then this message is personally for you. We're going to sing, Hark the Gentle Voice. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come while together we stand and sing?